Thank you so much for tuning into the Let's Talk podcast. My name is Christopher, and I am the Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or who may be considering leaving home. For over 50 years, we have provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. I hope you learned as much as I do on this journey to elevate the voices of young people and youth-facing organizations as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections witnessed by 4.2 million young people facing homelessness each year. It's week two of NRPM, and I'm joined by Emily Pereira from Youth for Change and their incredible Sixth Street Center for Youth. Welcome, Emily, and why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, my name is Emily Pereira. I am the program manager of the Sixth Street Center for Youth and the Heart Program at Youth for Change. So I run our homeless and runaway youth programs, and we are located in Butte County, California, so Northern California in a rural community. I started working for Youth for Change in 2009. I was hired as a part-time case manager here at Sixth Street and then worked my way up to the program coordinator, became the program manager of Heart, and then came back over to Sixth Street um, in 2018 and now manage Heart and Sixth Street. So what is Youth for Change's overall mission and does that align at all with any of your personal values? Youth for Change's mission is to enhance the well-being of children, individuals, families, and community. And I, I believe that fits with my personal values, absolutely. I am a licensed clinical social worker, um, and so that's kind of, that's what we do, um, is try to enhance our communities in general and work with folks to hopefully have them, um, help them create better lives for themselves. Yeah, that sounds like exactly what a social worker should be doing. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. Can you uh, give us just like an overview of the different programs that are available through Youth for Change? Yes, so Youth for Change has been in our community for 30 years. We started off as residential group homes in the Paradise area and then branched out from there to foster family agencies, therapeutic behavioral services, wraparound services, um, and now we are, we are located in Butte County, and then there's a whole other arm of our agency in Sutter Yuba County, and we do have programs in Shasta County as well. And so we have just under, I believe, 200 employees with a multitude, like I said, of programs. And so they kind of split up into two different categories. You have your mental health programs, and then you have your social services. Um, and Sixth Street and Heart, although we do provide mental health services, are under the social services umbrella of Youth for Change. And if you want a more in-depth look at all the different services that Youth for Change offers in Northern California, you can go to our website and it can show which programs we have and how one would refer in if they needed a referral from someone else or if they could directly refer themselves. Thank you. And for anyone listening, all of the links necessary for today's conversation are going to be available in the description. So just check out the description and you should be able to click directly to youthforchange.org. Now, today we are going to focus on the Sixth Street Center for Youth. Last year, we recognized Sixth Street Center for Youth for their excellence in community engagement during the National Runaway Prevention Month Awards. Since National Runaway Prevention Month is upon us, can you share some of the ways that you engaged with the community last year? So last year was really exciting. Um, we were able to have an event for the first time in some time. And 
There has been a long-standing group at the center that has been a partnership with Josh Indar from Butte County Office of Education. He comes and does a group called Writing for Donuts. And really what that is, is the youth can write a sentence, they can write a page, a story, a poem, whatever they want, and he gives them a donut. And what he's done is collect over these years all these youth stories into this fantastic book. And so we had Writing for Donuts Volume 2 as a book release party at a local art gallery. And so there were youth who performed songs, read their poems, and then the book was for sale. And again, that's Josh's project and with the County Office of Ed. So that was our big event last year. And then we did Wear Green Day and there was a lot. We lit up our buildings, partner agencies light up their buildings. We sold shirts. I feel like there was more, but it was a year ago, and now I'm so focused on this year that's hard to <laughs> to remember. So I have to remember to come back to this writing for donuts thing because that may be the coolest NRPM related event that I've heard of so far. That is so neat. Um, but since you mentioned it, can you share with us what your plans are for National Runaway Prevention Month this year? Um, so we have a number of events planned for this year. We've asked the different municipalities to do proclamations and we've heard back from most of them. So that's something we've done every year. Um, we're going to have a table at a 5k, 10k, which is called the Almond Bowl locally here on November 6th. We will have the shirts and that will be primarily for our youth advisory council youth to participate in. Um, we'll have shirts. We'll have our, we make little rubber wristbands, all of our outreach materials and really spreading awareness about issues that impact homeless and runaway youth um, at this very large community 5k, 10k. We will be doing Wear Green Day on November 10th. We'll have a candlelight vigil on November 17th on uh, this Chico City Council Chambers. We're really excited about that. Light the Night campaign will be all month. So that's when our partners and ourselves light up our building screen. T-shirt sales will be all month. And then really kind of something different we're doing this year is partnering with a local candle maker. Her company is called Ghost Poppy. Um, and so she's here locally in town um, and she's making a candle that's gonna be called Shine a Light. And then under that, it will say Youth Homelessness and have our logos. Those will be available on her website and 50% of the proceeds will come to Sixth Street for that fundraiser, which is really cool because candles and shining a light kind of go together. So we're excited about that. And then we are doing coffee sleeves at local coffee shops with our logo, Runaway Homeless Youth Month and how people and, and our website. And then we're doing, um, of course, this interview <laughs> and an interview next week with the African-American Family Cultural Center in Oroville, who is one of our partners and also lights their building up for us and has our flyers and our events out there. So that's our plan this year so far. And hopefully there may be some more last minute things that come up, but that's what we've got cemented right now. <laughs> I know that the people watching can't like see my face right now, but I feel like my jaw kind of dropped as you go through this really long list of things. You guys are actually really doing your own campaign for National Runaway Prevention Month, which is so, so excellent. How, how long have you guys been planning all of this out? So I think we start planning or start talking about it in June. And then, you know, there's some things we do every year. So, and, and you guys send out that, the toolkit, which is really, really helpful because we try to align with the dates um, of the toolkit. So the candlelight vigil, we wait to schedule and make sure that that's aligned with the national date, um, wear green day, things like that. So we start planning though, usually in June or May, some stuff takes all year. So previous years um, we've done CD releases. So that means that we have to record the kids, the youth, 
though year round to in order to have a CD ready in November and get their artwork and everything. So some stuff takes more planning. So hopefully next year we'll have a CD as we record more youth. And that would be the third CD that we've released um, out of six streets. That's so. really, just really so awesome. And I love to hear, I, I say it, once we start planning for Natural Runaway Prevention Month, which is around May and, or June, I start saying here, it's like a five month process. It takes really a long time to get all of this stuff in order. Yeah. And even now in this, this final moments leading up to NRPM, I'm like, how, it feels like we've done so much stuff. And then I have to remind myself that we've actually been planning this for several months. Mm-hmm. And then all of a <laughs> sudden, so it's here. It's, ah, it's, it's November. Here. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you, please keep me updated on some of these things that you guys are doing, especially that ghost poppy candle making thing. You really got me there. That's like <laughs> me 100%. I will be ordering that and waiting for my receipt that says 50% of this went to Youth for Change. Thank you so much. <laughs> but yeah, we'll definitely share that for sure. Please do. So we jumped right into National Runaway Prevention Month without really discussing what exactly the Sixth Street Center does. So for the people who aren't aware, can you tell us how young people um, who benefit from the Sixth Street Center have helped inform your NRPM campaign? So yes, we have a Youth Advisory Council and they have been most active in the candlelight vigil and then this year hopefully a little bit more being more active at the almond bowl the 5k 10k and having really having their voices heard at that vigil and having them speak um, and also helping them with the planning process of like this is how we plan an event and then of course with writing for donuts they were a big part of that voice because we had them performing and reading their you know, reading their poetry, playing their music, and as well as the CD release parties we've had in the past. Like that's been very much centered around their music and their art and how they want to express themselves. That's so cool. For a person who's not on like your youth advisory council, let's say somebody's like visiting Sixth Street for the first time, what should they expect when coming into the center? They um, really friendly people. Um, so for the first time when a young person walks in the door, we understand, I think it's really important that we, to note that our staff and I as well, like we all understand that how intimidating that is for a young, a young person who's coming to access services for the first time. That can be very scary. And then we know that there's a lot of apprehension. We do a really brief initial contact where we ask for information from our young from the young person. They can refuse to answer any of those questions. Part of you know, name, date of birth. We want to make sure you're in the age range that we serve and that you that this is an appropriate service, right? Sometimes it's not where folks actually needed to be and, and we need to get them to where they needed to go. We'll give them a quick tour of the center and explain, you know, kind of our agreements and just so people know um, what expectations are from the youth and from the staff. So any agreement that the youth are asked to follow, the staff are asked to follow as well. Um, and then after that, it's really up to them what, what they're really wanting to do. We have food, showers, laundry, hygiene closet, clothing room, all the things. And it's about building relationships at that point. Some youth come in really ready to go and wanting to jump into case management and like, let's do all the things and some need time to warm up to get to our know our staff which again is completely understandable to build some trust hang out play a game or two see what we're about and then realize like all right like awesome so i can you know trust these folks (laughs) i think our listeners are probably used to me talking to organizations who have a large anonymity factor within their programs that allows people to 
um, like really come without having to share anything about themselves aside from their story or whatever they want the um, person that they're speaking with to know. Is there any space for anonymity at the center? Yeah, I mean, confidentiality is um, is is parent. It's it's just that's part of what we do. These are confidential and free services. If people don't want to give us their real name, they don't have to. And I will say, when I first started, we had a lot more young folks using street names, um, and now not so much hesitancy really. And I think that speaks to um, the how we get referrals and the primary way, and that's what we ask youth on that initial call, how did you hear about us? How did you come to find us? And for the majority, it's word of mouth. And over the years, I think there has been more trust in our homeless youth population locally. And so they're willing to give us that information, their, their, their legal names or the preferred names, more so than they were when we first opened. And so I see that, yes, we have confidentiality and there is so much, there is space for that. And it's really cool that youth come in and they are hesitant, but that they do come in with a level of trust because their peers have said, like, you can go here and it's safe. So, I know that every situation is different, but are, are there any standout or consistent reasons that you hear for youth as why they are apprehensive about coming in? I mean, I think, I think in general, right, the young people that we work with have the adults in their lives have not maybe not protected them in the way that maybe that they felt they needed um, or they have not been, there's people they've trusted who then have not turned out to be trustworthy. And so it can be, it's also kind of, I, I actually, I can think of what one youth said, you know, um, relative release recently this past year when he came back to see us after having been out of services is, you know, there, there are a lot of people who want something from you. And so you're, it's like, okay, I'm going to go to this place and they're going to give me food. Like, what do you want from me? And we are. And so learning to trust that, that we, that we don't, you know, um, that you can come in and we're going to provide you these services and you're going to have dignity and respect from us. Um, and, and we don't, we don't ask, we ask for very little in return, which is just behavior-based stuff. So yeah, I think that would be, the reason that young people wouldn't feel, you know, safe, they haven't been treated safely in their lives. And that's how they, and part of the reasons a lot of them ended up even needing our services. Mm-hmm. You're alluding to what a previous conversation informed me of, which is that that's actually a form of a trauma response is exactly what you're saying. Like they're so used to things being a certain way that that's just their expectation going forward. That kind of brings me to a question about mental health. Is there a mental health component to the Sixth Street Center program? And have you seen a rise in young people who are more concerned about their mental health? So Sixth Street actually is Mental Health Service Act funded. So we probably, if you look at drop-in centers, um, we tend to lean heavily on mental health more, maybe I would imagine, some than other centers because of our funding source. And so I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means that I can provide mental health services and therapy. And then we have another licensed clinical social worker on staff. Um, so we have two levels of service. The first one being like our tier one is what we call it. So that's where we're engaging with youth. Like I was saying, getting to know them, they can get case management, they can access all the basic needs. And then tier two is when 
when and if they decide they want to engage us in mental health services in-house at the center. So they can see the therapist here. They can, if they prefer not to be at the center in her office, she can meet them in the community as long as it's an appropriate place and there's enough confidentiality for her to go there. Um, and so really uh, working with young folks on, on their mental health goals, and it is very much driven by them. Like this is their, and so all the services are really at Sixth Street, the mental health services and the basic needs of like, this is your program. This is what you want it to be. It's not about what I want it to be for you. This is only going to work if it's your goals, right? So yeah, and I think as far as an increase, I don't know, we kind of hold steady on how many youth we have here open to those numbers, but I think there's more of a conversation about mental health and more of a willingness to talk about openly with peers, with staff of like my anxiety or I've had trauma. And I think you're having, there is, we're seeing more of an open dialogue about that here at the center. And then I think also though in, in my mainstream life, um, that's also happening more as well in our larger community where people are talking more openly about mental health in a way that is not, that is destigmatizing. Mm-hmm. So. And we definitely noticed that, you know, or we recognize that young people have more access to information and language about mental health that helps them express themselves more. Yes. There's a lot of common threads between what I consider to be like successful and inspiring organizations like your own. And those things are being non-judgmental, of course, and being non-directive, but also this important component of developing a unique plan for each person. Why is it important for Sixth Street um, caseworkers to help these young people develop unique plans? Um, Well, because we're all unique, right? And even if we find ourselves in the same circumstances, it doesn't mean that what we need in those circumstances are the same thing, right? And so humans are vastly diverse. And so we have to have this diverse response. And we also want to make sure that our youth understand that they are the experts in their lives. I am not, and I can't, you know, prescribe, like, this is what's going to, like I said, this is going to be good for you. Our caseworkers can't, and we want, we want you to drive this ship and we're here to be right by you. Then, you know, as long as you want us, um, and we can, you know, I tell my, like, I use this a lot with staff and clients that we can show you the menu or a map, and but it's your choice and this is your journey. And ultimately it's an honor to walk alongside young people. Like I said, for the amount of time they let us walk beside them. Some young people that's years and some that's a day or two, but it's it's their journey, it's their life and they know what's best for them. I by no means, and neither do the staff, um, know what's best. So we're there to just kind of, you know, like I said, walk alongside um, and that journey and help when we can and support. Most young people do want to be able to feel independence and feel some type of agency to be able to make their own decisions. And I do think that's a really, really important factor in any program like this. Do you guys have anything that can be done for someone who is under the age of 14 who comes in with questions or reaches out to you guys in any way? Yes. So that's our heart program. So we talked briefly about that in the beginning of the interview. So if anybody actually under the age of 18 comes into the center, we're really going to call the heart program to come work with them immediately. And that's a clinician who is automatically assigned to that young person. Um, They can still access Sixth Street, they can do showers, laundry, whatever, but they're gonna have a whole separate clinician who's providing case management and clinical services to that young person. So if a 12 year old walks in, we're calling the heart program because they generally work 
Heart can work with 12 to 17 year olds. We can work with younger, but in California, 12 is the age of minor consent. So we can start working with them and decide if, you know, what needs to help them decide and us decide what we need to legally have to do. Um, so yeah, we definitely can direct young people to services being under the age of 14. If they're involved with heart, like we do have some kids, young folks who are 13 who might come in with their heart worker to access clothing, showers, all of those things. Um, so heart would respond immediately and that's a 24 seven program and it's a mobile response program. So they, um, don't advertise, well, our office is in our main office, but we, the heart program will go countywide to wherever it's safe to go. So if the school calls, the clinician will go out to the school. Um, we can go out to the parks as long as it's safe to go there. We can co-respond with other agencies um, so young people don't have to repeat their story multiple times. Both programs try to be as trauma-informed as we possibly can with the young people that we're working with and to offer comprehensive programs to the youth and their families. I'm curious, are there incidents where Sixth Street Center receives people who have um, left home or run away or like had multiple runaway episodes and how, how is that handled? They, young people can access services as they see fit. So they can come and go during the day. They may come here, return home, and then six months come back. And I think it's important that they know they can be here. This is a safe spot. When you talk about harm reduction, right, coming here is safer than going out in somewhere else. Um, so we want them, if, if they need to be here, to come here. We want them to get food here um, because if we aren't providing it, who is, right? And, and, and again, like what is, we talked about that trauma response um, and, and the trauma that young folks experience on the street, the street. We're really trying to mitigate the impacts of that. So if they run away and they have multiple um, runaway episodes that is in no way a deterrent for us. It's actually, we don't want to encourage it. We're not encouraging running away, but knowing that you're safe here or maybe even come before you run away um, and help us work with you so that you can, you don't have to, um, if that's an option. Yeah. So I, I feel like most people, when they would hear a term like uh, repeat runaway, they would, at a place like the Sixth Street Center, they would think that that's a negative thing, but it actually shows that the youth does feel safe and can come back to that place and feel welcomed and like not really have to think about the stigma. It's just what they what has become their response to an undesirable situation, essentially. Yeah, and actually we praise them for it, right? You made a safe choice. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't, you know, again, we're not saying that running away, we don't, every circumstance is different, but like this is the safe choice to make in this situation and continue, how do we help you continue to make safe choices? Um, and keep yourself safe regardless of your housing situation, right? And so we really want to flip that into a positive and not a negative. Perfect. Safe choices. I love that. For the person who isn't necessarily engaged with the homeless community like us, where we work in it or like donors, how can the average person really support a program like the Six Suit Center? And obvious, there's the obvious like financial components in this money. Yes, please support local organizations. What are some other ways that communities can really support these drop-in centers and other programs like Six Street Center? I think really educating yourself um, about issues that affect homeless and runaway youth and maybe about some of 
the inaccurate information or the stigma or the stereotypes that we have around young people experiencing homelessness come in. I mean, I'm happy to, my staff are happy to show you around our building, give you a tour, talk about what we do here, talk about the young people that we serve. I personally, I know my staff too, love sharing about what I do. It's I'm passionate about it. I love it. And it's an honor. Um, and I want to share that passion with other people because I think that they can learn and grow from it. And the more that you know, and the more that you share with your friends and family, the better. The other thing you can do is follow us on social media and just share our posts. And again, the educational component to it as well. Um, birthday fundraisers on Facebook are fantastic. That's like the easiest thing that you don't really have to do a lot, but it's super helpful for us as far as like the financial component. And then ask us what we need. Sometimes we need a we're completely out of socks or sometimes we have way too many socks. Um, so really asking us what I need. You can do a clothing drive or canned food drive um, at your place of business or your school. You can volunteer. We've had restaurants who got really creative over the pandemic. And what they did for us was they had their their patrons call in and buy a meal. So they would pay for a meal and then we got to order, our youth got to order off the menu. So the restaurant got they got fine they got money for their food that they then were able to give back to us so they're able to donate through the restaurant that way that both helped the business and our center and when you speak of agency a youth getting to order off the menu instead of being given like at sixth street frankly what we do is like this is what we're having for dinner you have a few options but it's spaghetti like you know you can either have meat sauce or red sauce it's not ordering off a menu and that even that bit of agency one time a week is huge. So those are that's a really wide range of things folks can do. But at the very like the very minimum, but also like hugest impact is asking questions of, of us who who work in this field and educating yourself and sharing that I think is huge. What is one piece of advice that you have for young people who are really concerned about visiting a place like Sixth Street Center? Like if they were afraid to come into the center, mm -hmm. um, there are people who care about you and it might not feel um, like it all the time, but we're here and we're ready when you are and we are not here to judge you and we're here to support you um, in whatever way that that feels safe for you. And if it doesn't feel safe, and you can tell us and we will act accordingly. And so I think that's what I would say. Sorry, I kind of got a little bit emotional there. Because uh, yeah, there are people who care about you and you matter. And we, we, we're here and we're waiting when you're ready. Thanks for tuning in to the Let's Talk podcast. Visit the description for this episode to find links for the Sixth Street Center for Youth and all of their awesome National Runway Prevention Month activities. Transcripts for the Let's Talk podcast are available at 1-800-runaway.org slash transcripts. Join us next week for another new episode. Talk to you soon.